Welcome to Matthew Felix on Air, coming to you from San Francisco, California. People who create, people who make a difference. Hope you had a great week. Lots going on here in San Francisco. Uh, first off, I had a great time at Litquake's opening night party last Thursday at the University Club on Knob Hill. And I saw lots of familiar faces and made some new friends as well. Thanks to Jane Ganahl and Jack Bulware and uh, all the other, the Litquake team for putting on a great party. It was a wonderful way to start off the festival, which is happening now through Saturday the 20th, this Saturday, when it culminates with the Lit Crawl through the Mission District here in San Francisco. So if you're gonna be in the Bay Area or uh, going to be here over the next week, uh, I was gonna say if you live in the Bay Area or gonna be here over the next week, then go to litquake.org and check out the hundreds of events that are going on over the next week. 76% of which are free, and if they're not free, chances are that it's such a big event, such a great event, that they had to rent a space, which is why uh, your tickets are helping them to be able to put on those, those bigger events. Again, that is litquake.org, and of course, I should also mention that co-founder Jane Ganahl was on my show a few months ago, and that interview is on my Words and Images podcast. And then just two weeks ago, Jack Bulware, the other co-founder, was on this show talking about this year's festival. So check out those episodes. They're both on iTunes and Google Play. And then Jack's episode is also here on Facebook and on YouTube. Speaking of Lit Quake and Lit Crawl, I will be reading at the Traveler's Tales event, Encounters in Faraway Places. The uh, Lit Crawl is split into three phases. And the Traveler's Tales event is in the third phase, which is from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock at House Cafe on 24th Street. So please stop by. In other news, uh, this week I officially announced to people subscribed to my uh, mailing list, something that I've been hinting at on social media and in the intro to this show, and including just right now, just a second ago, uh, for the past couple weeks, and that is that on 11-11, November 11th, I will be publishing my third book. It's called Porcelain Travels, and the subtitle sort of describes uh, what it's about, and it's a very long subtitle, but it's Humor, Horror, and Revelation, in, on, and around toilets, tubs, and showers. Now, just like my Morocco book with open arms, uh, Porcelain Travels is a book that I never had any intention of writing. So it started when I was working on my novel, A Voice Beyond Reason, in southern Spain. And I wrote some stories for friends and family about some humorous bathroom experiences I had had on my travels, including in places where I had lived while, uh, while staying overseas. I wrote the stories, shared them, and then sort of forgot about them. Well, 10 years later, once I'd published the novel, once I'd published the Morocco book, friends and family said, you know, over the holidays, one holidays period, were saying, said, okay, so you've published those other two books, when are you publishing your bathroom stories? And my immediate reaction was, you know, I'm not publishing the bathroom stories. Like I said, I never, never had any intention of publishing those stories. Well then, the next year, I went back for the holidays, went back home for the holidays, and the same thing happened. People were bringing up those stories, and you know, this time I thought, wait a second, if people who read those stories are still thinking about them and still laughing about them 10 years later, when I'm not even bringing them up, then I need to hear that. Rather than be so dismissive, there, there's something there that resonated. So I came back to San Francisco after the holidays and I dug up those stories. Well, in the meantime, 10 years had passed and since I wrote the originals, and because I'm such a, bu uh, a budget traveler willing to put up with a lot, and if you don't believe me, read the book, uh, but because of that, I had had so many more humorous and horrible experiences in the decade that had transpired since the originals that I had a whole bunch more stories. And so it became very clear that I actually had a whole book. So I wrote the other half of the stories, and then I was invited, once I was done writing those stories, I was invited to workshop the entire draft of the book 
with uh, author, Left Coast Writers founder, and former San Francisco Chronicle book reviewer, Linda Watanabe McFerrin, which I did. And long story not so short, as a result of that and some beta readers and some other editors and writing groups, I now have a book, Porcelain Travels, that is about to see the light of day. So really excited about that. Um, I'm also pleased to say and excited to say that the book has already received some recognition. The story Let It Flow won the gold uh, for humor in this year's Solas Awards. And that story, by the way, is the same one that I will be reading this Saturday at the Lit Crawl. I should also mention that the first event I'll be doing to launch the book will be on Monday, November 12th at Book Passage. And I'm not sure which Book Passage yet uh, because there's one in the Ferry Building. There are actually three, but there's one in the Ferry Building. It'll be at the one in the Ferry Building or the one in Cord Madera, and I'm waiting to find out. And, of course, I will let you know as soon as I do. But, by the way, you can make sure you're in the loop by signing up for my mailing list on MatthewFelix.com. I usually only send something out every four, maybe eight weeks. Um, of course, you, there might be a little bit more now that I have a book that I'm launching, but I do not bombard you with messages. So that's one great way to uh, stay in the loop. Regardless, between now and November 11th, I will, um, I will, uh, I'll have more information and I will talk about it here, of course. In the meantime, the last thing that I want to say about Porcelain Travels is if you would like to check out some of the stories, there's already a podcast that's been out for several months, and it's by the same name. It's called Porcelain Travels. It's on iTunes. It's on Google Play, and, uh, and you can check that out as well. Speaking of podcasts, uh, this week, new episodes of my Words and Images podcast come out, and as I mentioned before, Words and Images features conversations with writers, photographers, filmmakers, and others other people involved in some capacity with the written word or with images. And it's, it's conversations that, that I did when, when this show was actually at the internet radio station. So this week, Thursday and Friday, or no, sorry, Wednesday and Thursday, I think I'm going to try to release the remaining three episodes of the series. I've been releasing two episodes a week, but since I just have three left, I think I'm going to release all three if I can pull it off. And those episodes include my conversation with Erica Heitman Ford, who is one of the... Um, the book cover industry or one of the best book cover, one of the most well-known book cover designers in the industry in New York City. She called in to my show a few months ago and we had a really interesting talk about the business side of things, about how she works with publishers, how she works with authors and the art of the book cover as well. So check that out. Then there's my conversation with Dr. Falk Kameen and Falk is the program director at Foothill College and De Anza College of the the um, Humanities Mellon Scholars Program, which helps get a diverse population of students a humanities-infused education. And we had a really interesting conversation, not only about that program, but about the state of humanities in general, particularly in these times when so much of the emphasis, so many of the educational dollars are going to other areas, such as, of course, technology. So that was a really timely, interesting conversation that I had with Falk. Last but certainly not least, there is my conversation with local painter and writer Colette Hanahan, and we had a fun, deep conversation about the joys and challenges of living a creative life, particularly when you're sort of, you know, trying to, to figure it out on your own. Um, I loved that conversation with Colette, so check that one out as well. Or uh, you don't have to look for them if you subscribe. Please subscribe on iTunes and Google Play so you don't have to look for them. Like I said, they will be delivered effortlessly to your phone or your computer or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you do listen and you're feeling generous and have a second to rate or review, that would help so much. As I've said again and again, that's how the word gets out. And that's how the all-powerful algorithms that help disseminate the podcasts take note of the podcast 
So again, I really appreciate your help with that. Watch it over there. Uh, before we jump into today's show, I think Matthew's getting a little impatient over there. He's rattling the microphone. Uh, I want to mention some upcoming guests, and then we'll jump to Matthew. Uh, next week, Michelle Alcedo of uh, Open House is going to be on the show to talk about the work that organization does for LGBT seniors. And the following week, Anne Sigmund, uh, author and adventure traveler, will be on, and she's going to discuss her in-progress memoir called Scrambling Back, which is about not only surviving stroke, but resuming her travels around the world afterwards. And so we'll talk about stroke, we'll talk about memory loss, autoimmune uh, disorders and diseases, and of course we will also talk about travel. All right, no doubt much more going on, but like I said, Matthew is over there getting really impatient, so I think we need to, yeah, now he's now you're in denial, but you're over there rattling the microphone. All right. That was my glasses. That was your glasses. <laughs> All right, well, I don't know because I was reading my script, so I don't know what, we'll just, we'll just assume you're telling the truth there. All right. Literary Deathmatch is a reading series co-created in 2006 by Adrian Todd Zuniga, but it's not just any reading series. It's part literary event, part comedy show, part game show. The LA Times called it, quote, the most entertaining reading series ever, ever. So that's a big deal. My guest today is going to tell us much more, but per what I was able to gather from their website, oh, I didn't put the little logo up here. There we go. Um, because I've never been. I'm going to go for the first time this week, which I'm really excited to check it out for the first time. But per their website, Literary Death Match is a competitive, humor-centric reading series featuring a thrilling mix of four famous and emerging authors who perform their most electric writing in seven minutes or less. The readings take place before a live audience and a panel of three all-star judges. After each pair of readings, the judges take turns spouting hilarious off-the-wall commentary about each story. They then select their famous to advance to the finals. The two finalists compete in the literary deathmatch finale, which trades in the show's literary sensibility for an absurd and comical climax to determine who takes home the literary deathmatch crown. Literary deathmatch takes place regularly in New York City, San Francisco, and London, but it's also been produced in a total of 60 cities around the world. In the U.S., it's been in Los Angeles, Chicago, Boston, Iowa City, San Diego, Raleigh, and on and on. And overseas, it's been in Dublin, Paris, Edinburgh, Beijing, Glasgow, and Shanghai, just to name a few. In total, to date, 425 shows, and this is from their website, so there's probably even more by now, but 425 shows in 60 cities comprising 85,000 tickets sold. I hope that all of those people are watching and listening <laughs> today. On September 11th, or sorry, September 7th, 2011, the event presented its 1,000th participant in Glasgow, and in 2016, Literary Death Match celebrated its 10th anniversary. Matthew DeCoster is a producer at Literary Death Match San Francisco. He is also a former member of Litquake's executive committee. At Litquake, he produced Write On and hosted Barely Published Authors. He's also been published in Sparkle and Blink, SF Wire, and Bang Out, and featured at numerous reading series. Matthew recently stopped radiating sunshine at LitCamp, where, as a founding board member, he helped raise a lot of money for Scholar Match and Camp Scholarships. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you. So. I'm glad to have you here. I'm really excited, like I said, to learn more about Literary Deathmatch. I've heard about it for so long, and I've meant to go for so long, and this year, very shortly, in a few days, I finally get to go. And not only that, but I get to talk to you all about it. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to learn more about it. But before we learn about uh, Literary Deathmatch, I want to learn a little bit more about Matthew DeCoster. So uh, until the uh, Litquake opening party last Thursday, you and I had only met for a split second, sort of in passing. And... 
we actually crossed paths online, and I don't know if it was because of this show or just through common friends we have on social media, but you started sending me info and invites to different literary events, and I was sort of like, finally, I'm finally, I've got someone <laughs> who knows, who is in the know, who knows every conceivable literary happening in the Bay Area and is going to keep me in the loop, because until recently, I, I wasn't uh, you know, particularly in the loop, um, so I really appreciated it when you started, again, helping me with that, so thank my you pleasure. for that. My pleasure. But all of that to say, how did you get in, in the loop? How did you get into the San Francisco Bay Area um, literary community? Well, really quickly, I guess I should back up as to how I got to San Francisco in the okay, first place. Okay, sure. Tell uh, us that. Grew up in Los Angeles. Um, when my paternal grandparents retired, my grandfather worked for Seas Candies uh, for years. My grandmother was uh, Dinah Shore's cook. Oh, wow. When, they, when he retired from Seas Candies, uh, Harry C. Jr. had a vineyard in Napa, and we would come up every year, stay for a few days in San Francisco, and then go up and stay at this vineyard in Napa for a long time. And I fell in love with this city when I was nine years old and, oh, wow. and realized this isn't too far away from Los Angeles. I could be home close to my parents. It's magical. It's not too hot. The fog is great. Cable cars are cool. And then puberty hit, and I knew about Harvey Milk. And I'm like, yeah, that's the place for me. So to have this pseudo-literary life here now is just, you know, makes my nine-year-old self extremely proud and happy. All right. Um, I am a graduate of the San Francisco State Creative Writing uh, Department. Um, after I graduated and got my BA, I was asked, even though I didn't wasn't in the MFA program to return. Um, I worked on 14 Hills, the graduate um, magazine, magazine yep. and uh, was an instructional aide in the creative writing department doing what MFA students do. Um, in that time, um, I learned about LitQuake, um, started to go to LitQuake events. I learned about, firstly, I actually learned about a reading series that's still involved, Evan Karp's incredible series called Quiet Lightning. Yep. Um, was enthusiastic inviting people to things on Facebook as I do with you. Um, and that was noticed by Jack and Jane of LeQuake and they asked me to be uh, part of the executive committee and I did that and started producing my own events during the festival. At the same time, I was getting more and more involved with literary deathmatch. Should I wanna hear about? Not yet. Okay. We're not ready for All that. Right. No, right. we need to know more about you. So, uh, so, so that's cool that Jack and uh, Jane actually reached out to you because they saw that you were so active. Yeah. Uh, that's a great way to get involved in something is to be invited in. So that's right. great. Uh, how long did you actually work for LitQuake? I was on the executive executive committee for three or four years um, okay. and have, have always been a fan and a supporter and still continue. And so you said that you produced events, but is there more involved in being on the executive committee? Oh, or yeah. is that the, yeah. Um, you know, LitQuake needs to raise money and throw events, and uh, I've helped out with all sorts of different events, including when Molly Ringwald was in town, that she did an event for LitQuake. We did an 80s event. We've done numerous types of, you know, dating shows and <laughs> silly, fun, heady, serious, not so serious events, and I've been involved taking tickets, planning them, et cetera. Whatever basically needed to get done. Right. Right. Not for a while. And you mentioned Lit Camp. Lit Camp was initially a um, joint venture between the San Francisco Writers Grotto and Lit Quake. That's how oh, it really? ended up. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what is Lit Camp. Lit Camp. Uh, Lit Camp is a, well, Lit Camp 1.0, I can speak about, which is 2012 until last year, um, was a juried writers conference that accepted only 40 
uh, writers every year. We were extremely lucky in our first year to have the mojo gained from Lidquake and the Grotto um, and the cachet as well to attract great writers like Adam Johnson and Paul Harding and Joshua Moore. Um, and it, it was a really interesting five-year run. Okay. Um, yeah, and I stopped doing that and you have, last year. You've moved on. Okay. Yeah. And so now there's, there's 2.0. So it's still out there. Well, You're just no longer involved. In the fires that happened nearly a year ago, the camp, I had resigned the board um, before the camp actually burned down. My oh, Thomas wow. Ranch burned to the ground okay. and is no more. And I'm not sure where the next incarnation of camp will be. Okay. Yeah, lots of problems with, with fires around here. I'm sorry to hear that, that you lost where you guys were holding it before. Okay, so uh, I'm sure there's much more that we can talk about, Matthew DeCoste, but that gives us a little bit of an, of an idea of how you got into into the scene here and uh, how you're so well connected. But uh, but as you said, or not as you said, as we said, as we're here to talk about, let's, let's go ahead and transition then into literary, literary deathmatch. Now, sure. I... I tried to describe it the best I could based on, on the website, but like I said, I've never actually been. So um, without going into the specifics of how it works, which we're going to do shortly, how would you describe it? To someone who's never been, just sort of at a high level, how would you describe what uh, Literary Deathmatch is? I'm going to describe it by saying that writers are introverted people who, who have an insular art and a solitary existence when they're creating their art. And what Literary Deathmatch does is give a venue and a event for people to get together to have community and fun and have equal parts silliness with literary, you know, merit and importance of like a lit literary salon. So it's a it's an excuse to get all these people that are working in a solitary fashion to come together and have a good time. Okay, that's you know, the big picture. That's the big picture. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that because that is, that is so true. You know, a couple, I've been asked several times, including, you know, on my first video podcast episode, I had Aaron Byrne interview me in case I had technical issues. I wanted to be the one suffering. And of course I did have technical issues, but one of the things that she said is something that a lot of, not a lot, but a few other people have said is, you know, where did you come from? You just appeared overnight. And I said, well, I've been in San Francisco for well over 20 years, right. but of course I knew what she was referring to is, I was when I was working on my novel for 10 years, I was just doing it off on my own. Mm -hmm. And there were times when I would try to find a class or a group and it just kind of never worked out. So it really is a solitary uh, sort of existence or endeavor, at least it, it can be. Yeah. So I like that, that that's kind of your perspective on, on this is helping to bring us out and together and take it seriously, have some fun, which we're going to talk about um, how, how you do both at the event. But can you tell us a little bit about how and when the event came to be, just at a high level, the history? Uh, started in New York City in 2006. I did not come on board until 2009-ish here in San Francisco. I've only been involved in literary deathmatch productions in San Francisco mostly, Oakland, and I was involved in the shooting of the television pilot in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and I and we have done sixty three cities now. You left sixty three, including Reykjavik. Mm -hmm. Was Bjork there? Uh, I don't think so. No, oh, but she would have been cool. Would have loved. Yeah, I love Bjork. Yeah. Reykjavik's great too. Uh, and did you did you do it in Reykjavik? No, no, no. Okay, no. it's worth checking out. Although Reykjavik is like this big, but I mean Iceland is just just amazing. And Reykjavik is a cute little town. But all right, that's a whole other whole other subject. <laughs> 
In 2010, this is kind of still kind of big picture here, Interview Magazine said, quote, events like Literary Deathmatch are helping to revitalize the coolitude of the printed word. And that's something that you guys quote on your, um, your sizzle reel. So I'm not, sure, I'm not exactly sure what the coolitude of the written word is, but is it safe to assume that, that Literary Deathmatch came to be out of some sort of recognition that readings uh, could be more entertaining, that could be more engaging, that they, need to be, they needed to be sort of revitalized or at least a different spin? Or I don't think revitalized, but, but a different spin, I think, would be a better way to put it. I yep. think that there are a lot of great reading series still locally and you know, throughout the world where you can go and just sit and listen and take it all in and, and you know, not be silly. And that's, I love to do that too. Yep. Um, so this is, was a spin on part literary salon, part silliness. Yep. And yeah. Okay. All right. Um, because I mean, and there I are times when you go to readings and it's kind of like, uh, okay. Mm. So, so I could kind of see how, uh, how rethinking it yeah. could be, could be interesting. But at the same time, like you said, there are a lot of great a lot of great series out there that, that, that work the way they are as well. But, okay, I just liked that, the coolitude of the print of the word, and I thought maybe um, good there was something. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about specifically then how does it work. So we've got four authors, three judges, two finalists, one champion, four, three, two, one. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit again about the specifics of how it works. Well, first we have to find the people yeah. that we want to feature. And it's like throwing a great dinner party and putting puzzle pieces together about what you think will work, what will be funny, who will draw in some fans, who has a presence, who needs to. Um, so that's how it starts. That's basically where my job begins. Can you hold that thought, sure. though? Because I'm going to, to ask you a lot about that. Okay, sorry. But no, no, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. But can we just talk about if I'm going to the event, how the event actually transpires? And then uh, we are going to go behind the scenes, and I want to know about your job for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, you, you did a perfect job describing it, the 4321. Yeah. Uh, um, everyone, every author gets to have the stage to themselves for seven minutes. Okay. They get to read their own published work or a work in progress, not someone else's work at all. And it doesn't have to be, one of my questions, what, it doesn't have to be an original work. It can be something they've already... Yeah. Okay. Something that they think will hit the, the, four, the three areas that we judge on, which is literary merit, performance and intangibles which mm -hmm. can be you know, Matthew I'm I like your shoes okay thank you they're new <laughs> I do like your shoes thanks your they, they are they're new thanks they're <laughs> vegan even I'm not vegan but well my shoes then. are yeah who knew um so okay so uh doesn't have to be original material but one thing you just said is that they read for seven minutes mm -hmm. and they, they have the stage ah. themselves for seven minutes yes. but I think they're paired up uh, is what I read. Well, every author gets the stage to themselves for seven minutes. So okay. there's the first author goes for seven minutes. Um, the second author goes for seven minutes. That's the first round. Then the two authors are judged together on the three components okay. that I just mentioned. So they're mentioned. only paired in the sense of the competition itself. Correct. Of one of the two is going to advance. So Correct. they're only paired in that. Okay. If, if they go over seven minutes, we used to use a water cannon. Oh. The... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, elbow room and unfortunately it hit the ceiling and then landed on Michael Krasny and oh, no. <laughs> we stopped using you know wa so much water around you know amps and electronics yeah and we've used nerf guns and now we use a, a group hug if someone goes too long a group hug well yeah. that is certainly feel good northern California yeah. god love us yeah. um, but <laughs> so one question another question I had about the readings themselves is um, because 
there is this hilarity. There is a lot of sort of, again, I haven't been, but again, just reading here, there's a lot of hilarity. And are the readings meant to be funny? I mean, do you have a better chance of winning if you're doing something comedic? Is that sort of, or not necessarily? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. And, and, and I, I, while we emphasize comedy and silliness, you know, folks show up and they can give a you know heartbreaking dramatic wrenching piece and advance based on their literary merit and how they performed it and if someone liked their cues or not yeah um it tends to be the performative aspect that they're judged on that, that the writers are judged on tends to lend itself to people coming in a costume like the character that they're reading about okay. or something like that but it's you know, it's, you can never predict who's going to win. Yeah. Um, the, the most talented or the most acclaimed writer does not necessarily win. It's, a, it's an excuse for us to get together and listen yeah. and enjoy and have fun. But that's really interesting to me, though, is that so you do have really dramatic readings. You do oh, yeah. have really. Yeah. So you yeah. could be crying. You know, one, one reader could move you to tears and the next one's moving you to tears of laughter. That's correct. It could be either. I would say that the comedy component, if it doesn't come in a reading, it can come certainly in the judging. The judges are definitely there to have a shtick of, of sorts. And stir and, things up. And then, yeah, and yeah. you know, talk about your shoes and talk about you know, your performance. And, and the, but the literary critique is always done by someone who can talk about you know, alliteration and your imagery and, and stuff like that. Right, so. okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. What about, I noticed that um, it looks like when I was looking at your lineup, which we'll talk, we'll talk about later, it looks as if you mix, for example, poets. I might be a poet with a nonfiction writer or a novelist. So is that ever kind of tricky to mix people who have such different sort of practices or dealing with such different genres? Or well, like any good dinner party, a mix of different people and types yeah. Yeah. is makes for a better dinner party. All and right, that's always enough. made for, you know, if we only had Pulitzer Prize winners, that would be just one note, perhaps, and one sort of feeling. And we go for a mix of a interesting conversation that you would have at a, at a dinner party. Okay, fair enough. So do you have poets might be reading poetry? We have poets reading poetry. We have slam poets doing slam poetry. We have fiction writers. We have, you know, uh, speculative fiction. We have... Um, all sorts of we have stand we have we've used stand-up comedians before who have something to say nato green is a local columnist who also is a stand-up comic he's performed for us so if you've written something and you can read it out loud and it's entertaining we want you to be part of our that's show. the bottom line yeah right there yeah okay interesting so this is making me uh you know more and more interested here to check it out because i'm, I'm curious how you bring all these all that variety to the dinner party, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. Okay. So then you, you go through the, uh, the different rounds here. And then when you get to the finale, I'm going to quote the website again. The literary deathmatch finale trades in the show's uh, literary sensibility for an absurd and comical climax. So how do you balance the more serious sort of literary side of things with this absurd comical climax? And this is going to be a long question. It's really two questions at least. And can you give us examples of what that means, absurd comical climax? Sure. Um, well, everyone who shows up knows what to expect. They know, you know, no one shows up without us letting them know. You what mean the to participants? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully the audience. I um, have no idea. I'm learning as we <laughs> um, speak. So. so folks and writers know that um, 
there will be silly there will be silliness and if you want an example of how the winner of the first round and the winner of the second round are paired off at the end for the death match yeah it's like in, instead of pin the tail on the donkey it's you know blindfold a writer and have them feed gertrude stein a brownie or you know put the the jack daniels in hemingway's mouth and we've got pictures of or holding up uh, a, a cyrillic title of a novel and trying to have you know teams figure it out we pull people out of the audience the right the, the two writers that have made it to the final round pick teams everyone works together it's that's the raucous part okay and, and it sounds as if um, the climax, that the finale of each show, San Francisco, Los Angeles, whatever, that you do different things for different Absolutely, finales. Absolutely, yeah, no, okay. never the same. So that's the other thing, mm -hmm. is that it's constantly going to be different. Constantly different. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, another thing that you said on the website, not you, general you, that the website says is, quote, we've called this, sorry, we've, yeah, we've called this the greatest, the great literary ruse, an audacious and inviting title, a harebrained finale, but in between, the judging creates a relationship with the viewer as judges themselves. So what does that mean and how does that happen? I'm trying to understand if your you question. Know. Okay, I'm uh, going to say it again uh, here. Uh, well, they're saying that even though it's, um, it's a crazy title, you've got craziness at the finale, but in between, and I think this is getting kind of a little bit about, you know, related to my previous question of how you find that balance between the silliness and the seriousness, it says, in between, the judging creates a relationship with the viewer as a judge themselves. Is the audience somehow involved in the judging, well, or, is, or is there something no, else that's referring no, to? The, 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 there are people rooting for a particular writer, whether or not yeah. it's a stranger or a friend of theirs, um, based on the performance or their past relationships. People are, you know, come with, with the fan bases. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. but, the, but the judging is done by the folks that we ask it's up it's up to the three people to on stage there's no yeah. calling in no there's no, no, no isn't that what they used to do on american idol i haven't watched yes, that for a long time that 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 yes that model yeah. or whatever okay well, to some degree yeah are the uh i mean yeah presumably you didn't have them calling in but some variation yeah. on that all right so um you just answered one of my, my next question which was going to be you know does the format change and it sounds like the ending is always different but the rest of it stays the same. The template is the, the same. Template's the same. The, and pieces, the finale is the, the pieces different. within the template change. Yep. Yeah. The last question then about specifically about how it's run is, does you know do the winners from San Francisco from LA is does it is there some sort of tiered national level are they no. or it's all it's That's all the a local. Great idea though. Yeah. That's a really good. There's idea. no world. There's no literary deathmatch no, world champion. No, there's not, and we we don't have the budget to fly people in from around from Reykjavik to you know. Dublin to yes. Los Angeles. So yeah, uh, that's a very good idea, but okay. no, we, no, there's no. All right. So it's all local right now. It's all lo specific Correct. to the local yes. events. All right. But that could change after this show. Yes. Okay. Uh, in the past, you've had too many famous authors and judges to mention, although you're welcome to mention any that you might want to mention, oh. but how do you attract such top nudge talent? Cause one of my, one of my questions or one of the things I was wondering about in response to this question, you kind of just touched on, I thought, well, it's either two things. One is the event has just developed such a reputation that these people want to be involved. That's certainly part of it. And or they have the budget where they can pay for Michael C. Hall. Wait, Michael C. Hall? Yeah, Michael yeah. C. Hall and Moby and Tignataro and all these other. And those are just some of the famous judges, never mind, you know, the writers and, and, right. and other literary judges right. from New Yorker. And well, so. you, Tignataro does write her stuff. 
Yeah. So well, fair enough. That's an, you yes. know, you can be fair a celebrity enough. and be a writer and yes, be well can. known. And yes, you yeah. can. Yes, you can. Um, Moby, while not a writer, writes his own music and things. Yes. Right. Right. Um, and those three, f the, f the three people that you just mentioned were part of the television pilot. Right. And so that's we're why not they stood usually out. Yeah. that star studded every okay. single time. Okay. Um, but that, that was, those three were involved in our TV pilot. Uh, but at the same time we had Susan Orlean and other really well-known writers. So right. that was, it's not just Hollywood stars. It's not just Hollywood stars, but we stars. always like a little bit of Hollywood oh, stars, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, I guess it depends on the stars, but okay. So ultimate goal is to perform the literary death match. Again, this is from your website, all over the world to continue to, to continue to showcase literature as a brilliant, unstoppable medium. Well, you are already all over the world, but is it still growing? I mean, do you know new cities off the top? You might not be involved in this because you're, you're local, I'm but local. do you know more cities that are being added or not currently right yep. now? Um, because Adrian Todd Zaniga, the creator, uh, founder, the brains behind the whole the host enterprise, the host exactly, um, is working on a second novel. So this year we've done the second fewest shows that we've done since the second year of the inception of Literary Deathmatch in so, twenty no ten years. Correct. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Um, twelve years, I guess. Yeah, two thousand and six. Yeah. yeah. So it's th we've done the fewest shows this year that since two thousand and eight. So it, it expands, it contracts. We've done as many as sixty three shows in a year. Oh wow! It's, yeah. It, um, so it changes. There's yep. not a set schedule. Okay, but so it's not necessarily growing in leaps and bounds in the foreseeable future because of some other side projects. Sounds Correct. Like and, a and novel and being more than a side project. And we mentioned. The, the television pilot. Well, that's my next question. Okay. So t yeah, so tell us about that. So there was a television pilot there that you were involved in. I was. I was a production assistant on the television pilot that we shot at the Florentine Gardens uh, in Hollywood. And it was very interesting for a bunch of folks who've been involved in the stage production to say, okay, what is a camera to and where do we look and what's blocking and how do we... Was That's become familiar. It yep. was, yeah, I bet. On a small um, scale here, how yes. Do, how are the lights working? How's yeah. the sound? Um, it, was, it was an interesting endeavor and there's been a lot of interest in the TV pilot. It's been picked up and put on turnaround turn by various networks. The goal ultimately is to have it on a media platform, whether it's Netflix or HBO or some digital format. Okay, so, what does that mean? It's been put on turnaround, that it's uh, in the running to be picked up? I believe that means, that's or? the British BBC term for we we own it, but we don't have to show it yet. We, okay. we, we have the rights. I don't know if that is the current situation. I don't believe that it is, but they had it for a period of time. We were very hopeful that it was gonna happen and then it didn't. Right. So. Sounds like Someday. that's the way these things happen a lot yeah. of times in very common in. Yeah, I got somebody contacted me. I've never talked about this. Somebody contacted me about the movie rights for my Morocco book. That never happened at lick at the uh, Litquake party. I was talking with another fellow who was talking about how he had a show that went into production and but still never, never saw the light of day. Yeah. So it sounds like it's all just very fickle and you don't know until it actually that's true until it actually happens. That's very true. Uh, okay, so we've kind of talked big picture and we've slowly been narrowing down and now I think we're ready to talk specifically about San Francisco's okay. Literary Death Match. So when did it get started uh, here in the city? Boy, our first show in San Francisco predates my involvement. Okay. So 2006, seven, right in there. Um, it was at the first show, I believe in San Francisco was at Amnesia. It's been at the oh, Rickshaw yeah. Shop. 
uh-huh. and our spiritual home. Adrian Todd Zaniga calls San Francisco literary death matches spiritual home because we've done the most shows here. Oh, really? Okay. There's an endless supply of talent right. um, of all levels of fame or infamy. And um, uh, the Elbow Room is where we will be this coming Wednesday. And but not for much longer, sadly. Sadly, not for because much longer. the mission needs more, presumably, presumably more luxury condos. Correct. I'm guessing. Yes, that's but there'll be one that's low income for people that are making a hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, sorry, I have to be a little cynical it's, here. It's Trust me. If you lived here, you would understand. Scary times. Scary, unaffordable times. But um, okay, so San Francisco. That's interesting that it's been held the most times here. Mm-hmm. How 60, often? 60, we've done 67 shows here. We've done 60 in London, 60 in New York, 47 in uh, Los Angeles. Those are our top four. The top four. Yeah. And how often do you typically, and you might have said this while I was, how often do you typically do it in this year? Changes every year. It's been, it's been shrinking this past year because, and I should, I should back up. My involvement began when Alyssa Bassist was the host and Adrian would only host every so often. But... Alyssa moved to New York. It was taken over by Alia Voles and M.G. Martin. They hosted for a couple of years. And then in our pursuit of becoming a television show, Adrian thought it would be best that there be one face in terms of a host, and he travels the world doing all the shows now. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he that's he, crazy. He keeps the cappuccino business going. I, I think mean, he's, my God. So um, – that you just reminded me of one question I had if we take a step back quickly here. So the show, would that be the live things that are happening? That's probably, no, that would be too much production-wise. You wouldn't be going around the world following the events. You would just be doing that in a studio. You'd be holding the literary death match for the TV show. Yes. It would, you would, people would. would go into LA. I think we'll do it wherever, you know, if Netflix wants to do it, traveling, we'll travel. If yeah. Netflix okay. wants to do so it. So you don't know exactly. I know. It's yeah. Okay. Interesting. I was just curious how that would, how that we'll, would work, we'll but he out. would be hosting. Yes. And uh, yeah, it sounds like he's a really busy guy. So he's a very busy guy. If you want to write a novel, you're not hosting 100 events a year or however many you His, said. He just released a novel, Collision Theory. Yeah. So he's a, or he's a second busy novel, man. I should say. Yeah. I saw that he had the, uh, the novel on the website. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so we were talking about this year's event, though. So we talked about when you got involved. And um, okay. So as a producer, you started earlier to tell us about kind of what that job entails and thank you for kindly letting me sort of put you put that on pause now i'm ready for you to tell us so what does your job entail and what's going on behind the scenes to make one of these events take place job in quotes because i do not get paid i do this Ah, i do this for fun okay um it starts with you know i started out taking tickets when there was a, a night when the person didn't show up to take the tickets at the elbow room uh-huh. and that became a production assistant and then producer as Adrian needed someone local to say, Hey, you haven't heard about this person. You need to know about this person because you've been in Dublin. Right. Um, so one, one of the things that I do that fills me up, uh, is to go to reading events and to sit and be quiet and not be silly and, and see who's out there. And yeah. I enjoy doing that. And there's a talent scout aspect to that. Um, if I see and hear someone that I think would be a good match for deathmatch, then I approach them. And usually folks have heard about it. They're interested. They're flattered. Um, and that's how I, you know, I call up Adrian and say, hey, I found this person. And, and what do you look for in a participant? Because as you said at the beginning of our chat, um, writers are just, I don't know, mostly, but very, very often introverts. 
And introverts don't always necessarily do so well on stage, but there is a performative element to this. So what are you looking for in the uh, sort of ideal participant? Well, the first thing is, is their talent as a writer. And whether it's comedy or fiction or drama or poetry, I something that moves me, something that grabs me. Whether or not they're reading in monotone or they're really selling it and performing it, that is of no consequence in, in, a, in a reading series area. In a typical one. Right, in a typical. Right. right. Um, and then I'll, you know, I'll, if someone is uncertain, I'll ask them to come to a show and see if it's for them and mm -hmm. they can get an idea of what it's about. Um, and if they want to be involved, then they can show up and do it the way they did it when I first saw them, or they can come in costume and, you know, right. go for the Take yucks. note yeah. and having seen how it works yes. and kind of take it, take it a step further or take it up a notch, mm -hmm. perhaps. Correct. Depending on how they did it initially. Right. Um, so from your perspective then, so that's, that's how you choose the, um, the participants, do they come to you? I would assume people come to you as well. Or are you normally reaching out? To I'm them? usually reaching out okay. and finding folks that I think deserve more attention. Okay. And that's what I did with my series at, at Liquake Write On is to, mm -hmm. you know, people that you should know about. These yep. are writers that you should know about. Yep. So from your perspective, what is the difference? This is less about a, a, a particular participant and it, more about the event. Uh, what's the difference between an okay literary deathmatch event and an awesome over-the-top lit, uh, literary deathmatch event? Most of them are a B plus to an A. Okay. We've had a few C shows that I've been involved with. Um, we did one show at Alam. Sometimes it's the venue. We're not always at the elbow room. Sometimes it's the venue. Um, I grew up, here's an example. I grew yeah. up loving reading Vanity Fair and the articles of Kevin Sessoms. I've idolized him always. He moved to San Francisco a few years ago. He's since moved back to Hudson, New York. Um, I asked him to be part of the show and it happened to be at the Alamo Draft House because we were showing something on the big screen and it was just a huge room. It didn't quite land the way that I wanted this person who I had so much respect for. Mm -hmm. So I was self-conscious about it, but he wrote it up a, a lovely, you know, synopsis of the whole experience. Um, is it sort of like, you know, when you go to a party and everyone wants to be in the kitchen and that's kind of creates the excitement and, and the space was just too big. And so it was sort of, yeah. Diffused or yeah something, or? Yes. And then sometimes the casting just doesn't work out like a dinner party. You think it's going to be, you know, crackling with conversation right. doesn't the quite chemistry. land. But usually it does. I mean, there are times when it really feels like the three judges have been on the road doing this their whole careers. Yeah. And that's frequently how it feels. Like this is like built in. Right. But they're just having a good time. Right. So right. This is totally putting you on the spot, which I told you I wasn't gonna do, but I'm gonna oh, do it great. anyway now. Um so so if you don't have anything off the top of your head, it's okay. okay. But I'm just curious because you're talking about sort of these great moments where there is that sort of synergy. Are there any moments from the events that you produced or attended that stand out as oh, yeah as oh that was that was like historic we totally nailed that one yeah okay good. uh our 50th show in san francisco was during liquake three or four years ago and it was seth harwood sonia renee taylor jane smiley sam barry brian boitano was a judge oh, wow. beth Lis beth lissick was a judge and andrew sean pre-pulitzer prize winning greer uh -huh. was judging literary merit and it was one of those shows where, you know, I, I know Jane Smiley. I sent her an email. I'm like, would you like to be the judge? And she's like, heck no, I want to compete. Uh -huh. And she came to play. She showed <laughs> up in a green sparkly cocktail dress. Uh, 
the writers that were on stage with her, Sonia Renee Taylor was like, I can't, uh, from uh, The Body is Not an Apology, Sonia Renee Taylor, uh, couldn't believe that uh, I get to share the stage with a Pulitzer Prize winner. Right, and right. they both made it to the, to the finals. finals. Yeah. And Brian Boitano said to Jane Smiley, Jane in her green sparkly dress, I know what you're doing. You're trying to pull my heartstrings because you're wearing Christy Yamaguchi's skating outfit nice. from the Olympics. And, nice, and, nice. and she ended up, Jane ended up winning that night. Oh, wow. And she okay. also, oh, she then proceeded to fake do a little ice skating, skating around performance. The so yeah, that, triple that will always stick out in my mind. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So that's just one example of, uh, the kind of, kind of events that can come together and can happen. Okay. Um, have you ever been a participant? No, no. Okay. Just curious. And well, I've been on stage, you know, as, Right, but not, not, a reader, not a contestant no, or a... No, yeah, no, no. You haven't competed is no, what yeah, I was asking. No. Um, have you been to literary death matches in other cities? Safe to Only assume? Oakland and Los Just Angeles. Just Oakland and Los yeah. Angeles. Because mm-hmm. um, I was going to ask if there was much of a difference insofar as the vibe and stuff. Probably not so much with no. with those places. Yeah, yeah. we're kind of uh, similar spirits, I would guess, in a lot of ways. Um, okay. Choosing the judges, I guess we've kind of already covered that because I was going to, because again, they're performing as well. So you, you're not just choosing, again, any, any, just someone who's got a lot of literary, but you, you want someone who's going to be able to, you have a stand-up comic, for example, at this, at this event. Um, Okay. Anything else to add to that? Or is that Um, how you I think that the judges actually have somewhat more of a performative pressure on them because because they're not, they don't have seven minutes to just do their own thing. They need to riff off what they just seen. They're right. taking notes throughout. Right. They're focusing on what's important to them and what, what sticks out. And then they riff on that. And it, Well, in the way it's described on the site and, and some of the stuff I've already read, it sounds as if they're sort of expected to be funny. They are. Sort and, of, yeah. And frequently that's how it works. However, yeah. the literary merit judge is talking about literary merit. He can, right. he or she can be funny in so doing, but it's usually very serious. I mean, we, our last, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going along sh- with you. Yeah. I'm our just, last show. I'm just talking with my hands too much. Yeah. DA yeah. Doug Powell, um, was just, it was like a master class in literary critique, critique. Sounded and out. Sounded thank you. Out. Yep. <laughs> um, and that's often how we have our literary merit judges, how yeah, they they're taking it, it very they're, seriously. They're seri- yeah. And yeah. Okay, so that's a great segue into, we've kind of danced around and we've referenced the categories, but let's talk specifically about the categories. Sure. So there's literary merit, performance, and intangibles, mm-hmm. which again, we sort of mentioned those earlier. Literary merit, I don't know if we need to go too deeply into that, but that's kind of, I think, more or less self-explanatory. Um, do you want to tell us just a little bit about performances and or performance, and then intangibles is a little more intangible. So can you tell us a little bit about those two categories? The performance um, has to do if, if someone's just standing there and reading their stuff, but they're doing something distinctive in so doing or tapping their foot in a certain way or punching certain words or really nailing one aspect of what it is they're reading. That's part of the performance and that's what is highlighted by the judge. Intangibles is the most silly of the categories. Um, in that, you know, your shoes, your shirt, I like your hair, I, you know, your you, stuff like that. So it's just sort of the, in, the intangibles is just sort of intangible. whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's intangible. <laughs> and it, but it's just like you said, you keep using the shoe example. So it's just something that happens to stand out for the judge. But Correct. it's totally arbitrary. It's totally subjective. 
and it's not as if the the performers can plan to, to address that category. Correct. Yeah. And you mentioned what is arbitrary. Yep. A lot of the show is arbitrary. Yep. No one is, it's, you know, you're not competing for a Nobel prize. Some people show up thinking that that's the deal. Right. And we've had very one or two divas that are like, oh, I can't believe I lost to a slam poet. Well, oh. <laughs> that's not the, you're at the wrong event. That is not the, the spirit of our event. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it, what, what do they get? Are the, they get the crown. Is there any in sort San of cash Francisco, prize or is it, in, it's just I have the, a crown that I, um, that we use. And okay. We, Cause I also saw pictures of a belt, I think like uh, a boxing belt. That was for belt. the, that, well, we did our TV pilot in a boxing ring. That's why. At yeah. the Florentine gardens, which used to be a place where boxing, boxing occurred. Okay. So, that. but, or, but it, you always get a medal. That's the, that's the through line throughout the world where okay. we do it. There's always a medal involved. Right. I added a bouquet and crown in San Francisco. Okay, from that's my beautiful. garden and a crown that we have. From your garden? Yeah. The flowers are actually the from your garden. The flowers are from my garden, yes. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Um, who are the judges? So we've talked about the categories. We've talked about when it's happening. Who are the judges at your event? Which, by the way, if I haven't already said it, which I don't we, think I, I have. Think we have. Wednesday, October uh, the 17th. 17th. Elbow room. I will say the 647, 46, I think it's 647 Valencia. Anyway, we'll talk about the specifics later. But um, who are the judges at your event this Wednesday? Vernon Keeve, the third, who is a writer and educator in the East Bay. Um, I saw him speak at writer, uh, writer, Drinks. Writers, writers with, with Drinks. drinks. Yeah, the L, uh, that's a great room, series. Around the corner from Elbow Room. Makeout uh, Room. Makeout room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was that's great. That's a great series. Um, uh, run by Charlie Jane Anders, who's also been on our stage as well. Okay. There's a lot of. Cross crossover pollination. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Corinda Dobbins, who is a stand-up comic, and Golly Mac Barnett, who is a YA young adult uh, fiction writer. And he, I think that's a he, He's, presumably. He, Mac Barnett. He, he is. Yeah, he is doing the intangibles. Cry. Actually, I'm telling you, I'm not Thank you very you. much. I was, pretending <laughs> to ask, I was pretending that it was well, a question, but I'm looking at my notes the, so I know the truth, or I know the answer. I, I cast most of this show Adrian cast uh, Meg Ellison and Mac Barnett. Okay. So Meg is competing. Okay. Yeah. And so Corinda, the stand-up comic, mm -hmm. is um, doing the, judging the performance. Yes. And she's sense. done our show before in Oakland. She's done your mm -hmm. show before. Okay. All right. Um, one thing before we move on from the judges that was interesting is that, um, you know, you have the judges each judge just judges their categories versus we have three categories and three judges who are covering all the different categories. That's correct. What was kind of the thinking behind that? I couldn't tell you this. I, that I, predates, I, that, that predates, predates my involvement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just thought that that was interesting. Okay. But it works out really well. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Cause works. you've got, they each have the expertise mm -hmm. or, or what we always you. start with literary merit because I think, and sort of at its core, that is why right. we're there. Right. Literary is the first word. These are writers. Let's talk about your what you've created on the page first before right. your shoes. Makes sense. Makes <laughs> right. sense. But again, my shoes are fantastic. Your shoes are and Thank vegan. You. And Thank vegan. you. And I got them on sale at uh, Designer Shoe Warehouse, which makes them even, even cooler. And that's <laughs> why they just happen to be vegan. I wasn't looking for vegan. Okay. <laughs> We've already covered that. Let's move on. Sticking with your event, though, uh, who are the readers at your event? Um, I'm going to begin by highlighting someone who's not only a sensational writer, activist, advocate. This is your special guest. One of well, we they're all special, but well, this, this is your special special. This guest is my closest friend who is going to be uh, on stage. Okay, um, Maisha Johnson. Oh, who, that's not who I thought you were going to mention. Well, there's a f I, they're all Hold that in, thought. Hold okay. that. Keep going. I'm sorry. I'll <laughs> shut up and let you talk and answer my question. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> Maisha is uh, a past winner of Literary Deathmatch and 
we were in school together. I have been a fan of her writing and her advocacy since the moment I met her practically. And she's become part of the LDM family and we just think the world of her and we're really glad. She hasn't been doing a lot lately, but she's coming back on Wednesday and I'm thrilled to have her. And I'm sorry, in, the, um, in my confusion, did you mention what sort of activist she is? Because um, you said she does advocacy and... Uh, she's involved, I would say, in non in uh, feminism and there's a lot going on in the literary world right now that we don't really want to get into, but she's helping women writers in particular, okay. people of color, um, non-binary folks. It's just she's sort of underrepresented queer, right. perhaps voices. Yes, yes exactly. Okay. Thank okay. you. Yeah, thank hey. you. I'm here to help. Thank I'm here you. to help. So Maisha's one. That's true. And who are the other three? Uh, I just lost my, can't believe I'm doing this. You've got a KM. Oh, thank you. I'm going to, that's what the notes are for. That, is that who you thought was going to be my favorite? <laughs> uh, no, no, because you started by saying activist, and so I thought you were going to mention your special guest, who we'll talk about oh, after the right, participants. Right. Um, but again, I was jumping. Cam Line uh, is the author of *The World of Normal Boys* and several other books. Lambda Literary winner. Um, he and I are nearly the same age, and he *The World of Normal Boys* was required reading for um, a class at State called *Gay Love and Literature*, taught by James Brogan. Um, and it's all about what it was like to be queer in the 70s and 80s and coming out as a kid when it was not so easy mm -hmm. in the Reagan mm -hmm. era, mm -hmm. et cetera. So yep. I'm thrilled that he's coming back. He's been a judge before. He's competing this time. He's, 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 he comes to play, but he's a brilliant, brilliant writer. He gets it. He understands what we do. All right. So he's got everything you need for the yeah. perfect participant. Uh, Chris Collin. Chris Colin? Collin. Collin. Um, was on the faculty of lit camp the first year is a grotto white and a brilliant brilliant writer of of essays and multifaceted super funny great person i'm thrilled that he's going to be part of this show he happens to have the distinction mm -hmm. um, adrian and i adrian and i both collectively decided that since the last election that we were not going to have straight white men on stage except ever for, except for adrian uh -huh. Well, for, we, for a while, we, we always endeavor to have a diverse group of people, regardless in terms of talent or what communities they come from. Chris Collin is the first person since the election oh, to, okay. to be a straight white man. But okay. we're OK with that. OK, so he got it. He got a pass. No, he didn't get a pass. He 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 he's, <laughs> he's he, I doubt he's a Republican. Let's just put it that way. OK. All right. <laughs> he's moving on. OK, that's moving on to the fourth. Meg Ellison is the fourth participant. Meg Ellison was brought on board by Adrian. Um, she is involved in a local reading series called Shipwreck, uh, which is um, moderated and hosted to a certain degree by Baruch Poros Hernandez, a former two-time winner of Deathmatch. Uh -huh. um, and she's come into play too. She's, she's never participated in our show. I've never actually seen her do anything except shipwreck so i'm really excited to see what she's going to bring to the table on wednesday okay yeah sounds like four great participants uh but you know so that then you also have this special guest that i thought you were going to mention a second ago but uh so who's that well because now i think we're on the same page right so as i mentioned you know the nine-year-old kid who fell in love with the city and then knew about harvey milk cleve jones harvey's right-hand man um creator of the aids quilt uh, incredible activist for 
the queer community and um, very active in the union movements, particularly in hotel workers right now, which are on strike in San Francisco. If you're coming to town, the hotel workers are on strike. I did not don't know that. be a scab. Don't cross the lines. Cleve is coming to say, since we realized that this show on Wednesday is just a few weeks before the midterms, you know, here we are in the bluest city, in the bluest state. What can you do? What can we possibly do to affect change in November? And Cleve is going to come with some tangible ideas and venues and places for people to go and be involved to take action to take action to right? take action because okay we're in san francisco we're in san francisco yeah. and there is action to be taken there is yeah and uh, okay all right so um that is all i had here do we you're producing the event i want to make sure did i cover everything is there anything else you'd like to kind of say before we wrap up here about about wednesday's event or the event in general my favorite Literary death matches are always during Litquake. The energy in the city surrounding Litquake is crackling. Yeah. To be part of um, the festival is always a lot of fun. I've hosted my own events there, but the literary death match during Litquake is always the best show, and I have no reason to doubt that Wednesday will be any different. All right. Well, I think that's a great note to wrap things up on. And let me just say here, uh, Literary Deathmatch San Francisco this Wednesday, October 17th at the Elba Room, which again is at 647 Valencia, but not for much longer. And uh, the timing here is the doors open at 630. The uh, event itself starts at 715 sharp after sharp. drinks at 9 p.m. 715 sharp. So do not be late. Um, and if you want to sit down, come early because we do not have enough chairs for everyone don't have enough to chairs. sit down. Okay. Uh, uh, and Get there early. Tickets are still available at liquid.org, but they are going very, very, very fast. I got we mine. We will sell out. I got mine and they will sell out. So buy yours, buy yours now. Uh, but before we wrap up, I wanted, you are going to be speaking. I mentioned that I'm speaking or reading at uh, Lit Crawl, but you're also reading at Lit Crawl. Did you want to give a shout out sure. for your event? I will be in phase one. What phase are you in? I'm in phase three, so oh, we're, not we're not We're not good. Yes. Um, I am, Otherwise, I wouldn't have brought yours up. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have you. even mentioned uh, it. Yeah. I am going to be a part of a, um, the Moxie Road Productions, which is Janine Kovac. Uh, it's her It's her group. Um, she's very much involved with Litquake um, and has been forever. Former professional ballet dancer. Really good friend of mine. She asked me to be part of her event at the Armory, um, which used to be a porn studio. Until very recently. Until very recently. Um, did you ever take the tour? I did. It was cool. And, and seeing the Mission and, Creek underneath. And I've lived in San Francisco for a while. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> so um, uh, when I found out that my, so I'm, I'm part of Prudes at, the Ar Prudes at the Armory. I was going to tell a story about my perhaps knowledge of the Armory back in the day, but my mom and her two best friends are coming. <laughs> so I'm telling an adorable story about summer camp and why Donna Weinstein couldn't go swimming. Okay, well, so it sounds like kind of a big shift there <laughs> yes. as far as your it's original not what you think. plan. Okay, all right, but check that out um, again because his event is an hour and a, well, two and a half hours or something before mine. So yours is at five o'clock. Mm -hmm. So the first phase is from five to six. There's a break for a half an hour for people to get right. to the different events. So five to six, then there's a break from six to six thirty. Then the second phase, which we don't care where you go because he's in the first one, I'm in the third one. But the, the second hundred, one. hundred word story, that's where I'm going. hundred word story. Okay, well, I also just got an invite from 826 today to go to their, they're having a their 826 quarterly book release party. The cup runneth over. The, the cup, cup runneth over. over. Yeah. That's the thing. It is, it is challenging, honestly, it, it is. to choose which events to go to. So 
but anyway, and so then the final, what, what, what did I say? Five to six, 630, uh, six to 6.30. So then second one is 6.30 to 7.30 with a break then 7.30 to 8. So I'm reading at, <coughs> I'm reading from 8 to 9, somewhere in there. All right. Anyway, uh, literary death, literary deathmatch.com. That one's really easy to remember. And then litquake.org, of course, for the uh, for, for litquake. Matthew, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Matthew. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. I learned a lot, and I'm really excited to check out Literary Deathmatch this Wednesday. Like I said, I'm glad I got my ticket because, again, tickets are selling out, so now's the time to buy them. And they're cheaper if you buy them online. That's true. Which is even more incentive uh, to buy them. So anyway, I hope that this year's installment is a huge success. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. It was. Thank you. All right, that's all for today. Next week, Michelle Alcedo of Open House will be on to talk about the work that organization does for LGBT seniors. Thanks again to today's guest, Literary Deathmatch producer in San Francisco, Matthew DeCoster. And last but certainly not least, thank you for listening and watching. If you like the show, please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play. It's the only way the word gets out. And as I've said before, I really appreciate your help. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com and links to my social media books. And I just realized I didn't show my book. I had that crappy picture. Let's see. Here we go. So this is the first <laughs> physical copy of the new book for those of you that are watching, those of you who are listening. Of course, that doesn't mean much to you. Uh, but anyway, I didn't show this. I showed the crappy JPEG that I have of, of the cover. This is the first physical copy of the book. And uh, there's, of course, there's a new page on my website all about that. So please check that out. And that, again, is coming out on 11.11, which is super easy to remember. Uh, but anyway, all the information about me then is on, like I said, MatthewFelix.com. And if you have any questions, comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, uh, I would love to hear from you at FelixOnAir at MatthewFelix.com. Thanks again for watching and listening, and have a great week.